Welcome to True North Vineyard Podcast, where we share our Sunday gathering messages. True North is a vibrant church plant community located in Traverse City, Michigan area. We are centered in the Bible and follow the example of Jesus praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We hope that our Sunday gathering messages encourage you to lean into the word of God and compel you to take action. To connect with us, visit our website, vineyardtruenorth.churchcenter.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at True North Vineyard. Well, how you guys all doing? You guys doing good? Awesome. Well, this will be my third time attempting, but we'll... That's all right. I love that you guys love each other. Um, one of the things uh, I was talking with Zach this week, or I'm not sure if it was this week or last week, but he had, um, we had had this meeting where uh, Kristen and Zach were over, and we were just talking about, like, what is, like, who is True North? Like, who are we as a body? And really, like, Zach just had mentioned this, and just in passing, but he was like, we are a body of ministers. Like, it's not really about just who stands up on stage or who's playing music. This is really about all of us being equipped by the Spirit to do something amazing. That we are all together moving with God to see His kingdom come and advance and move amongst us. And that I just want to say thank you. Like, I've, like, when Brooke and I started this thing, like, we had no idea of the quality of people that God would bring into our lives. We had no idea that He would bring people so hungry and in need of His Spirit and so hungry to give it away. And I believe that's what Jesus is saying throughout the scriptures. He's like, when you are freely given something, you freely give it away. When you receive God's Spirit, you are obligated to give what he gives you away. And that, I think, is the hallmark that we're trying to do here. We are trying to experience his presence and then let people experience his presence as they come into our community and as we go out into the community. With that, we have a huge, huge community event coming. And we are so beyond scared. <laughs> like, I was talking with Jonathan last week, and I was like, man, I'll be, like, we had eight people signed up, and I'm like, fine, cool. You know what? Awesome. We got eight people. That's eight families. We'll probably get maybe 60, 65 people. Sweet. Awesome. And he's like, no, I'm shooting for 20. And I'm like, no, this is stupid, man. We're a small church. We're, like, super, like, under 40 people. Like, why are you, like, shooting for, like, high numbers? Like, it's going to be four. It's going to be 20 people. All right. So we decide that we're going to do this service last Sunday, and the next thing we know is we've got 20 people interested, and we've done zero advertising, like none. That was prior to us putting ourselves on three different lists, and all of a sudden, boom, like all of Traverse City is just punching in numbers. We've got people all over the place. So we have no idea what we're going to get. It could be just us, or it could be half a Traverse, and I, I have no idea what that looks like. So if you are willing... We would love to have you partner with us. We've been anticipating this kind of relationship that we want to build with our community. This has been our goal this whole time. If you were in our evangelism seminar last year, we're like, hey, how we do evangelism is just by friendship. We connect with you. 
We talk with your non-Christian friends. We introduce them to your Christian friends, and we become a community. That's the intent of what we're doing next week. That is our whole hope. We just want to connect with people. We just want to meet people where they're at, and we want to invite them into our community to experience what we're experiencing here. So if you could, we would love that. With that said, I can probably preach on this alone for like 10 more minutes, and you know we can call it a night. Anyway, I'm glad that worship went long. Did anybody else feel the spirit in that? Yes. Yeah. Shoot, man, I'm, I'm used to like being the only one that's shouting, and then all of a sudden like everyone's singing. I'm like, holy smokes, it's all of you. This is awesome. So I'm glad. Anyway, so a couple weeks ago, I started a series called uh, Update Required. I always get that wrong because like when I look at my phone, I get system update, like system update required, and I'm like, what is the name of our series that we decided to do again? But a couple weeks ago, I started the series last week. Jonathan went through and uh, talked about the Father's love and how he is always the Redeemer, that he's always calling us back. And two weeks ago, we talked about what Jesus is updating for us. He's taking Old Testament concepts and he's making them applicable. He's updating them for our use. And I use this analogy of a phone where on the phone, when you have an update, what happens is it's supposed to improve the functionality and it's supposed to make it more efficient. So Jesus is taking these Old Testament concepts and saying, hey, there was this intended idea that I had and now I'm gonna center it on myself. Jesus becomes the center of all of these updates. So for prayer and fasting, when they were looking at the whole concept of we're looking forward to the kingdom. We're looking for the kingdom to come. It's still far off. We are putting ourselves in ash and sackcloth and we're waiting for this day to arrive. Jesus says, the day's arrived. It's the wedding feast. Now we get to come in with hope and anticipation. Our prayer is no longer focused on when it's gonna come, but now that it's here, how do we hope for a future? How do we hope for God to interact in our behalf? How does God come and heal us of our depravity? How does he come in and we can have hope now that he's going to heal the sick? We have hope now that he's going to meet our needs. We have hope now that when we pray, God interacts and meets us where we're at. That's what we talked about a couple weeks ago. This week, I'm going to talk about the idea of the Sabbath rest. So if you go with me, we are continuing in our journey through the book of Luke. I'm going to land in Luke 6. So if you have a Bible, turn to Luke 6. We're going to start in verse 1. But I'm also going to jump way, way back. I'm going to go back to Genesis chapter 2. So I'm going to start there. I'm working out of the New Living King, uh, New, well, not Living King James Version. It's the New Living Translation. So sorry. We'll have to edit that out of our podcast. Anyway. Genesis chapter 2, 1 through 3. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Now going to Luke 6. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples broke off heads of grain, rubbed off the husks in their hands, and ate the grain. But some Pharisees said, Why are you breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus replied, Haven't you ever read in Scripture that David, when he and his companions were hungry, um, oh, sorry, haven't you ever read in the Scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? 
He went into the house of God and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests could eat. He also gave some to his companions. And Jesus added, the son of man is Lord even over the Sabbath. On another Sabbath day, a man with a deformed right hand was in the synagogue while Jesus was teaching. The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees watched Jesus closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew their thoughts. He said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. So the man came forward. Then Jesus said to his critics, I have a question for you. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath? Or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? He looked around them one by one and then said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. At this, the enemies of Jesus were with rage and began to discuss what to do with him. Let's pray. Come Holy Spirit. Would you just be with us in this text today? Would you teach us what you would like? And would you anoint this message? Come Holy Spirit. We thank you. In Jesus' name. So let's jump back all the way back. Um, is that water opened? Thank you so much. Let's start all the way back in Genesis 1. So in Genesis 1, we have the story of God creating the cosmos. We have this imagery of day and night that the writer uses to explicitly illustrate what God is doing to order all things. And so we have the first day in which God, uh, I keep using that word, I can't remember how to use it, so I will not use that word. He diversifies and he says, here is the day and here is the night. And it says, then there was evening and then there was morning, the first day. Then the second day, he splits the waters. He splits the heavens and the sky and the waters below. And he says, then there was evening and there was morning. And he does this six times, over and over again. And on the sixth day, it says there was evening, and then there was morning, which goes into the seventh day. And God rests on the seventh day. He says he marks it as holy. But unlike the other days, this day never ends. This one has no end. So God's holiness and rest are forever. And so in chapter 2, we have a recapitulation. The story starts over. And all of the story of creation is centered now on the garden. The world is good, it's made good, but now the garden is other. The garden is perfect. This is where God rests. This is where God lives. And so humanity is brought into the garden. And he comes in, and then they become the protozoologists. They study the animals. They give them names. They become gardeners. They begin to tend to God's space. They become the priests. And they're given all of the beauty of the garden. They're given all of the beauty of God's domain. They're allowed to eat of any of the trees. The tree of life is there, but they're not to eat of one tree. When the serpent enters into this space, he tempts them to eat of that one tree. And when they eat of that tree... God punishes humanity. To the woman, he says, you are going to experience pain in childbirth. To the man, he says, you, the, the land is cursed because of you. And so you're going to labor. You are going to work with the sweat of your brow. And it wasn't that 
women weren't supposed to ever have pain in childbirth, per se, or that man wasn't going to have to work. They're working in the garden. It was that they would be doing it outside of God's rest. They would not be in God's presence working through these things. So we jump a few millennia to Israel. Israel has been given the rest of God. They have been called into covenant, and they've been given the Sabbath day. So on the last day of the week of seven, they are told that they are to all take a break. All of you get to rest from the top of the house to the bottom, the leaders and the slaves. You all, there is no, there is, it's an equity law. All of you get to experience rest. All of you get to experience God's goodness. And then God says, we're going to have another seven. We're going to have seven festivals per year. And those are going to be centered around the Sabbath as well. You are going to experience God's goodness in these. And then once every seven years, you're going to go ahead and you're going to stop tilling the ground. You're going to stop farming so that the land can be uh, resting from its labor so that it produces crops year after year. And on the 49th year, the seven times seven year, there will be a day of jubilee. And on that day, if you had accrued any type of debt over years, if you had found yourself enslaved to a neighbor, or you had given yourself over to be a servant, or if you had lost your land, those debts are removed. You are released from that obligation. You are sent home, you are given your land back, and you are set free from those obligations. This was Israel's inheritance, that they would experience the rest of God. God, was meant, uh, God had intended for them to experience his rest and his promises. And this was supposed to carry over to the rest of the world. The rest of the world was, submit, was meant to experience this. Because they had been exiled, Israel was the agent in which they would experience God, his rest, and the world would come back into a good relationship with God because of that. We do know, however, that this story doesn't end well. Israel fails this vocation, and I've said this over and over again. Israel turns their hearts away from Yahweh, and they turn themselves to the gods of the Canaanites. They start serving the Baals and the Asherahs. They give their hearts away to someone else. And because of this, they're sent into exile. They're pushed out. But God doesn't forget them. God doesn't forget that they have a calling. Instead, he says, there will be one who will fulfill this calling. There's going to be a Messiah who comes, and he will come at four, in 490 years. Catch the, catch the number here? It's seven it's, it's the great jubilee. It's the great Sabbath day. God is coming to give us rest. And so the, uh, so the Jews, when they come back into the land, they're anticipating this. When they're reading the scriptures, that's what they're seeing when they're thinking of, of the Sabbath or the jubilee or the festivals. They're thinking, these are the days in which God is going to renew everything. This is the perfect day. So when you see the Pharisees in the scriptures and they're really mad at Jesus for messing up their Sabbath day, some of us are like, man, they're just so legalistic. Man, these guys are just like, really just like, they're just rule keepers. Well, that's not what they're doing. What they're doing is saying, 
God gave us a really holy day, and it's meant to represent the future age. It's meant to represent that kingdom, that when it comes, this is what every day is going to look like. There won't be any work. So when they see the disciples pulling wheat off of the shears and rubbing it off, they're like, man, they're messing everything up. They're messing it all up. And Jesus is like, time out. That's not what's happening. And then he uses this comparison. He says, do you remember when David went into the house of God? He went into the temple, he went into the tabernacle, and he ate what is not lawful. Because only priests are allowed to eat of the bread, but he's not a priest, he's of Judah. He's a king, so somehow he alleviates the law. And Jesus says, I'm the king. Don't you catch it. He's comparing himself to the king. I am the king who's promised. All your anticipation of the day of joy, of the day of freedom, of the new age, it's in me. Can't you see that? I'm the one that all of your hopes are pointing to. I'm the Sabbath rest. And then Jesus says it more explicitly. The Son of Man is the Lord, even of the Sabbath. He's pointing all the way back to that prophecy in Daniel 7, where the Ancient of Days is enthroned between all of his divine counsel. And it says that the Son of Man rides on the clouds before the Ancient of Days, and he's handed the kingdom. The Son of Man steps in, and he's given the crown. He's enthroned as the king, and then the king gives it to the people of the kingdom. Jesus is saying, I'm that guy. I'm the Son of Man who's going before the Ancient of Days, and I'm receiving the kingdom. Everything that you're expecting is in me. And then he goes into the next Sabbath day. Comes into a town, and there's this guy with a withered hand, and all the Pharisees are like, oh, Jesus is a healer. We all know what he's going to do. We're going to catch him in the act. He's going to heal the guy, and we're going to say he broke the law. Jesus comes into this scene, and he knows what's in their hearts. He puts the man and says, come up here. I want you to see something. He says, everybody, what's the Sabbath for? Is the Sabbath about evil or is it about good? What's the rest of God supposed to be? What's the age that's to come supposed to look like? And then he heals him. Because he's destroying evil. Sickness, disease, sin, brokenness, it's of the world system. It belongs to the devil. It doesn't belong in the kingdom. The kingdom is to eradicate those things. The kingdom breaks evil down. So when Jesus heals him, what he's saying is, I'm doing good, I'm destroying the works of the devil. John, John writes this in his first epistle. In chapter 3, verse 8, he says, The Son of God has come to destroy the works of the devil. It says this in Acts chapter 10. It says that the reason the Son of God came was to destroy the works of the devil by healing the sick and casting out demons. Jesus comes onto the scene and presents the new age, the Sabbath day. So he redefines what the Sabbath is. It's not a day to be observed. It's a lifestyle to be embraced. 
We are now in the kingdom of God. Jesus goes, heals the sick, casts out demons. He loves the marginalized, loves the poor, fights for people. And ultimately, he dies on a cross. And that death overthrows sin and Satan's kingdom. He overthrows that. And in his resurrection, he sits at the right hand of the Father and pours out the Spirit to us. We have now been grafted in to this new age. He sits down and reigns. This is something also that I want to kind of point out. At the end of the creation narrative in chapter 1 and 2 of Genesis, it is believed that when a king sits down and rests, it's because he has defeated his enemies. So Genesis 1 and 2 is he has now ordered the cosmos, he's taken all of the chaos, and now he has made it in order. And what Jesus has done is he's defeated all of his enemies, and he's sat down. Jesus is the new creation. Paul says it this way, that do you not know that the old is gone and the new has come? If you have received Christ, you are a new creation. Jesus has sat down and rested because he has defeated his enemy. And now we are to live in this time between the ages. We now live paradoxically because we are now in an age where God is extending the mercy of his kingdom to everyone. All of us who are outside of God's kingdom, who have not accepted him, have now been given a hand. Come, it is your turn to accept the call. The forgiveness of sins has been given to you. You are no longer being counted your trespasses. And if you would receive that gospel, you are now a part of the new creation. You now live in the kingdom because the kingdom is already. It is currently going. And yet we await God's return. We await Jesus' return to overthrow all wickedness and evil. We live paradoxically because we live as though the kingdom is right now present. And yet we live with the same anticipation that Christ is returning to deal a death blow to all the broken conditions that this world still currently has. So how do we live paradoxically? How do we live with that tension? I'm running out of time, so I'm going to have to somehow wind this thing up a little bit. One of the things I want to say most, and I'll land the plane on this idea. The Spirit of God has been given to us as it was given to Jesus. If we go back a couple weeks, or maybe a couple of months, we were in Luke chapter 4, and Jesus comes into Nazareth, and he reads this scroll about himself. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has called me to release the captives, to heal the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to declare the year of the Lord's favor. Because the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, he was able to declare war against the enemy 
and declare that the Sabbath day, that rest, is now present. For us, the most important thing that I want to get across is that because Jesus is sitting in heaven, he has poured out his spirit on you. If you have received Christ, you didn't just get an absolution of your sin. You didn't just get removed from going to hell when you die. You have been called into a vocation. You have been called into a task. And that task is one of both intimacy and of loving the world that is broken. It is intimacy with God who loves you and has reconciled you and called you his own. It is also about reaching out and declaring to people that they are no longer under the weight of sin because Christ has dealt that. A couple things I just want to leave as application. When we are drawing into a relationship with the Spirit, we have to recognize that we are cultivating a relationship with a person. We are not just coming to church to get a nice little scripture reading. We're not just coming to sing nice songs. We're coming to engage with a person. We're coming to engage with a lover of your soul. And God has given his spirit to be with us, to be our comforter, our guide. And he's called us to be empowered by him. Few things on this, and I'll be done. How we cultivate that is, I would say, start by praying. Prayer and fasting, like we talked a couple weeks ago. Giving of your time, your energy, your substance, and asking him to speak with you. Asking him to meet your needs. Asking him to come and dwell, and you feel his presence. The best prayer I know how to do is just to say, come Holy Spirit, and just close my eyes and wait for his presence to show up. That is some of the best times I've ever had with the Lord, is just to experience his peace, just rest on you. Another way is to worship. Not just come to service and worship once a week. Get in your car, find a secret place, throw an earbud in, throw some worship music on, find something that you can worship and praise. The Old Testament prophets, what they would do before they would prophesy is they'd say, bring us a musician. And so the musician would come in and they would strum and they would feel the presence of God in their worship and their song, and then they would speak on behalf of God. Get close to him. Hear his voice. Learn to hear his voice. Learn how he speaks to you. And then act on that. Then I would say, open your Bible. Read it. Devotionally, and in study. Open it up. Throw it on, throw it on your, your app. There's a version app that you can just listen to the Bible all day long. All the ladies in here are doing it. Like you just are listening. Holy smokes, you're like halfway through the Bible, I heard. Like you just like decided I'm going to listen eight hours a day. I know. So what we do is, we, yeah, no, great. And so what we want to do is saturate ourselves with the scriptures. I would also say you want to get a study Bible. You want to, you know, learn the historical data. You want to know what the Bible story is. We're doing that. We want to do that. Lastly, and I'll, end, I'll land the plane right here, my fourth closing. <laughs> you know I'm a preacher when I have a fourth closing. Take a risk. 
there are people outside in your life that you know might have a sickness in their body. There are people in your life that you know are far away from the Lord or they need help. They're struggling financially. They're struggling emotionally. They're they're struggling mentally. You have the Spirit. The Spirit is in you. And the Spirit of the Lord is upon you because He's anointed you to proclaim the gospel to the poor, to set free those who are in captivity, to heal the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to declare the day of the Lord's favor. You live in the kingdom now. It's present. And your declaration to them will set them free. Live in anticipation that God wants to act in the here and now. And keep it in tension that when God returns, he's going to end all brokenness. That that's our hope. But we live in this time right now because God is extending mercy to those who are broken. He's longing for those who are outside to come inside. This is a gospel of inclusivity. And you are called to that work. Let's stand. I'm going to pray a blessing over you. And then we'll go ahead and shift gears. Father, I thank you for your people. I thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. I thank you for what you're doing and preparing them to do for you. And I pray that you would just fill them with your spirit, that they would experience just your peace and your power and your love this week. I bless them in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to the True North Vineyard podcast. We hope that you are blessed by this message. To connect with us, be sure to visit our website at vineyardtruenorth.churchcenter.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at True North Vineyard. We hope to see you soon.